Hey guys, it's Sophia and Misha, and welcome back to My Brother's Friend. So, Sophia, I was thinking the other day, I don't even know your middle name. My middle name is actually Elena, which is, it's my dad's great-grandma's name. Hmm. Yeah. I also, I, I don't know your middle name either. My middle name is Malik. Oh, wait. I actually feel like Morgan used to call Didn't Morgan call you that? Yeah, she used to call me that. <laughs> Malik is my dad's name, actually. A funny story. This this is something that really bothered me as a kid, that my middle name was my dad's name, because everybody... Well, I grew up in a very white suburban area, mm-hmm. and I went to a small private school, mostly white kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone would always ask, like, what's your middle name? And everyone would be like, Marie, Elena, like, mm, yeah. you know. Elena. Pretty common names. Yeah. Pretty common names in white suburban America. And I'd be like, Malik. And I would cringe every single time internally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's just, I was kind of, like, embarrassed by my, like, culture when I was younger because no one around me was salvation right Mm -hmm. like everyone was white so Mm -hmm. and looking back on it now being more like confident and comfortable with all of that and like embracing my true identity I suppose you could say Mm -hmm. I'm like ashamed to say I was embarrassed by something like that right Mm -hmm. by something so trivial trivial. yeah just your middle name yeah it's just my middle name I mean yeah I definitely see how you would feel like that when when everyone's middle names are just kind of very basic, you know, like mm-hmm. John William Joseph, you know, <laughs> like, oh, I'm Emily Marie, you know, exactly. And yeah. you're Nisha Malik Momin. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a, it has a good flow to it. But yeah. actually, though, this is like a really good segue into our guest for this week's episode, our first episode of season two. So we had Zoya on the podcast. Zoya is a South Asian American pop singer, mm-hmm. and she's really trying to be a monumental force in the pop industry, which hasn't really seen so much South Asian representation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's true. Like think of who is famous in America and has South Asian ethnicity. Like you think of what you think of Hasan Minhaj, you think of Priyanka Chopra, but you can't really think of like a female pop singer in the music industry. And that's what Zoya is trying to kind of like infiltrate and really yeah. become this like amazing icon and just bringing South Asian representation into the music industry. Yeah, I think it's so important. And I feel like me as a kid, if, if I saw that kind of representation in mainstream media or mainstream like pop culture, I think kids like me would definitely feel more comfortable embracing themselves like mm-hmm. amongst their white friends. Maybe it could potentially lead to me not having felt weird about my middle name. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, so we're super excited for you guys to hear what Zoya has to say. She has some really unique experiences having started her career in India, actually. And she just has a really unique story about getting her foot in the music industry. So without further ado, Zoya, let's (laughs) let's get into the episode. Hey, Zoya, thanks for being on the podcast today. Hey, girls, what's up? Can you tell us about your background, first of all, and how you got into music? Yeah, so I grew up in Orange County, California. My family was really, really artistic and musical my whole life. I was like super young and I was like already like singing and dancing and stuff. And my dad bought me a guitar when I was 11 because he saw me like writing all these melodies and just singing way too much. And he was like, you need to put this to an instrument and like actually write a song. And so I 
started doing that. He actually flew me to India back and forth like multiple times when I was like a teenager to like record albums in India and come back. So I had like a really early experience of like recording and playing in like cafes and like just touring like shit when I was like, I don't know, 13 till like 16, like super early. And then yeah, I ended up just choosing that. I got into a really one of the best art high schools in Southern California. And then after that, Berkeley College of Music happened in Boston. And that kind of prepped me for my whole life to just be a musician, you know? And when I graduated from Berkeley, wild shit started happening. India happened to me. I lived and toured for four years in India. And that's my background. Do you have like a bigger fan base in India than here? Like, was it easier for you to, I guess, like attract an audience? So in India right now, in the last seven to 10 years, all the millennial kids, like the younger generation want to wear what they want to wear, say what they want to say, go to a festival, see a metal band or a hip hop act. And that shit has never happened before there. Because in India, the music industry is all Bollywood. It's all music for film. It's not like girls with guitars. And like, you know, that's just not the industry. So when I went, the biggest film composer in India, his name is A.R. Rahman. He shared about me on Facebook and my whole life kind of changed overnight, like MTV and Rolling Stone and all the stuff started writing about me over there. And I was like, what is this? Like, I never knew India had this part to them. So I went for a month to check it out. And that turned into um, like four years. (laughs) So it was crazy. And like, I was one of the first female pop singer songwriters, like in the country, you know, there was like, literally, like, maybe one other girl and me at that time. It was crazy. You know, you were touring India doing, you felt like you were a part of this like mini revolution. Like I was like the girl with like blue hair and like ripped jeans and crop tops. And that's like what they wanted to like start globalizing and just start moving away from tradition and religion and just being whoever the fuck they want to be. So it was like an incredible four years and it was, it was intense. It was like, you know, I was sponsored by Vans. I was like touring, doing fashion shows with H&M, like when big artists from America would come. I've toured with, you know, Anderson Pock and Incubus and Martin Garrix and like it was crazy. And so that's why if you look up like me, like most of my press is all like, you know, L India, Vogue India, Rolling Stone India, like it's all right. like, like GQ India. It's like not here. And but I started moving away from the singer songwriter folk thing. So two years ago, I decided to leave India and come back to L.A. And that was kind of when I was like, holy shit, there's no Indian girl in pop music. And it just blew my mind because it's like, we're one of the, I mean, shit, Nisha, like, we're one of the, like, <laughs> the biggest population of, of people on the planet. And we don't have representation in pop culture at all. And it's just starting to happen with, like, Priyanka Chopra and Hassan Minaj right. and Lily Singh and, like, Mindy Calling and, you know, but that's, like, five yeah. people. Like, it's crazy. And right. it has not happened in, in music. And... You know, we have like Jay Sean and MIA and like, it's just like, why is there not like an Indian girl, Taylor Swift? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I wish growing up in Southern California that there was a girl that looked like me doing this because I would have probably thought that this was possible the whole time. I probably wouldn't have had to go to India to like do it. You know, it's like, it's just, um, that's kind of been the fight. So I came back, I said no to the label there because they kind of wanted to make me more Indian to market to Indians. And I've been really, you know, to my disadvantage, like, I think that's what's put me on the like, 
the longer, harder path because I'm not using our culture kind of as a gimmick. Not that other people are. Some people do it because it's them, but it's just not me. And yeah, so I kind of have chosen to do it in the way everyone else does and compete with like the rest of the music industry space and just be as global and completely commercial and tra- and not use anything from our culture a part of it just kind of make whatever music I want to make well you grew up in in LA basically so growing up I'm not sure like how in tune with Indian culture your family was or anything like that but did you feel like when you went to India you almost had to become more Indian than you really were <laughs> or anything like that the trippy part was like when I was in America, I always felt too Indian. And then when I was in India, I was too American. Mm-hmm. It was super weird. And a lot of people was like, I was treated mad differently in India because I was American. People would hear me talk and be like, oh, she's like, she's like a white girl. But then in my career, so many times it's either I'm, I look too Indian. Like that's not marketable. We can't do that. But if you're going to look too Indian, you need to Indianize yourself. But then it's like, I can't fucking change this. And I and a lot of people in pop culture, like they you haven't seen an Indian girl like, you know, have braids and like have dyed hair and like be whatever they want to be like in our culture, like Indian girls aren't really taught that that's okay to like, you know, even put a lot of color on your face, like even to wear like pink lipstick or like you know, dye your hair like pink a little bit or whatever. Like, it's just not uh, we've never seen girls like us do that. Even for me, it's hard to like feel beautiful doing that because I never saw examples of girls doing that, you know, so it's just something that you haven't seen before. So I think, um, yeah, for sure. I think there's been that's been the battle of like my entire career has been um, how do I stay myself, but don't piss off Indian culture just because I'm not trying to use it. I feel like like Priyanka Chopra is a perfect example. It's very parallel to that. She came into the American market and she played roles like Alex was her first role in a US FBI show. She didn't play, she didn't play like Nisha or Anushka or whatever. (laughs) She didn't play. And that was, that was really, and that was like really strategic. And she said no to a lot of roles just to like land that one where her role could be Alex, where people around the world didn't see her as an Indian girl. They saw her as just a girl. And now she is known in households of everyone, not just Indian families and Indian, the Indian diaspora. So that was all really strategic because I think, unfortunately, we live in a world where if America or, you know, more white nations say something's cool, everyone else is going to think it's cool. I mean, how has your transition been? How long have you been back in the U.S.? Actually, I should probably ask first. It's been two years. So we, I got back, met with a lot of labels and stuff. A lot of, it was funny because a lot of labels here even were like, honey, you're not going to make it if you don't use your heritage. And kind of still was like, really like old Indian men are telling me this and now old white men are telling me this. I was just like, (laughs) this is ridiculous. But I ended up signing with Propeller, who's uh, been my team for the past two years. My manager also manages like Doja Cat and the Cool Kids and a bunch of other big producers and stuff. So we we did the thing, you know, like my first six months back, you know, we got Jack Harlow on a song of mine and we tried to like, you know, push me into the American market. But, you know, things happened. COVID happened, you know, and it's just now it's kind of like trying to remodel everything that we were trying to do to fit the new narrative of what the world is. 
I read in one of your articles, I think it was like, it may or may not have been the Rolling Stone when I forget, but you talked about like reinventing yourself um, and deleting a bunch of your Instagram pictures and kind of starting fresh. So I'm curious, did you feel this was something like you had to express because of it, like an internal change you had or something that you had to do to more for everyone else who would be listening to you? I think there was a point where when I first came back, there was a lot of opinions on what I should do. And I think people thought that my story was too complicated. Like I needed to like figure out a way to make it like a quick sound bite. And in that case, like I needed to kind of just erase start over. To me, that was kind of in my head like a mistake. However, it didn't really matter at the end in the long run, you know, because I, I literally put them all back up like three months later. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, that was like a strategy, I think, in our head to just start clean but I think that was when I learned the lesson that like I'm not gonna like try to hide my history I have changed a lot like I started off as like a folk singer songwriter who used to wear bindis and I used to rep like wear a lot of desi crossover clothing and I used to do that when I was younger trying to learn about myself and then when I went to India I was trying to learn about you know, my roots and who I was. So I was kind of crossing over and adding things into like back into my my folk singer songwriter music, I was adding like Indian elements, and I was pulling from those things. But that was like me at 1920 trying to figure out who I was, you know, and I think India taught me, if anything, how American I am, really. And that was kind of when I was like, wait, girl, you like pop music, you love Taylor Swift, like you love you know, Halsey, you love like this world, like don't you don't have to like be unique and like use your culture just because like, that's the only lane for you to do music in because that's the only lane that existed. So it's like I, I really had to like be true to myself kind of that's really stupid, but like it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just choose the path that I wanted. And I hope I don't know, like, Literally in the past two years, there's so many more Indian girls in music now. Like, and I know of them because I, I am obsessed with this idea now. I'm like, how has this not happened? This could have changed my life growing up. This could change many Indian girls and Indian boys growing up. How they perceive themselves, how they perceive themselves in pop culture. Like, that's the way to push the needle forward with any culture and create change is through pop culture. So... I, I think I do it for that now, um, and I hope that it starts, and I think it has, like, started to build this path for other Indian girls, like, who are younger than me, and Indian girls even in India, you know? Because it sounds like you've been through a lot of different feelings of identity, and so how has that all kind of manifested itself in your music? What is your music about? Do you kind of, like, keep those kind of themes out of your music, or do you kind of put them in? They're all in my music. I think my last record as a singer-songwriter was called Natural Disaster, and that was all about how I was my own natural disaster. <laughs> um, just, like, fucking up my own life because I didn't know who I really was. And if you listen to that record, like, that was my last singer-songwriter record, and I wrote it with my band in India. And that album was, like, really basically using the metaphors of I really want this dream, but I, I'm so scared that I'm going to be the one that's going to ruin it so that whole album is about that and then the next record and then after that I did like a bunch of single series while I was trying to figure out what this new pop sound was for me and then when I came back to the U.S. the last record I put out even the the song with Jack Carlo it's called Bad Girl Stream and that was kind of an entire record about my 
whole journey chasing this dream and kind of not being the normal Indian girl to do it. Like I was by any means not good. Like I was not like a good Indian girl, like ever. Like I partied a lot. I did a lot of stuff. Like I, you know, I rebelled a lot. I was like, always I think and too that whole record was like my realization that there was a lot of myself that was chasing validation from outside sources because I grew up in a way in which I never felt beautiful accepted or that I could even chase these types of dreams because of what I looked like and throughout growing up like that that's why I wrote the record Bad Girls Dream and that kind of that record like shows every song is about each phase of chasing this dream for me. That's really funny about the whole, like, you're not a good Indian girl kind of thing. Because, I mean, you know, as an Indian growing up in America, it's just, you're, like, always boxed in, right? You're either, like, the studious one or you're, like, the whitewashed one, right? And it's just, like, how can you really exist in a way that's not, like, catering to someone else? Yeah. And no one ta- no one teaches us how to deal with that. I was lucky, like, my parents are not the typical Indian parents at all. So I was I was so lucky that they weren't trying to, like, force feed me they they fed me Indian culture in a really fun way but they weren't like the typical like you need to get married like you know like that whole thing like they're not like that they're they're literally like right now like Zoya don't stop keep going like and I'm I'm so lucky to have them that have always kept me creative and and wanted me to pursue this and I think a lot of other Indian kids don't grow up with that so I think there's a big part of it too is is younger Indians are not encouraged to pursue a field in creative. You know, they're encouraged to become a doctor or an engineer or get married. That's the typical story. And that's very true. Because of that, that is a big reason why we don't see a lot of faces in pop culture. It's not an okay thing to chase after in our culture. So things are obviously changing now. But yeah, I think that's a big reason too. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious if you noticed a difference between uh, American Indian youth and like Indian youth growing up in India and in terms of like social pressures or family pressures to pursue certain paths or anything like that. Because I almost think like maybe I mean, I don't know about kids in India, but I know like in the diaspora, I think it's always like pressured doctor, lawyer, whatever. Like I almost feel like the arts are even further away or less attainable growing up in, in America as an immigrant as opposed to in India. Totally. And I think India, like, India surprised me. Like, my friends in India are so cool. Like, the women are, like, you know, creating their own, you know, brands and record labels and, and working for, like, other huge brands and building these festivals and becoming DJs. And, you know, there is, is that group of Indian, like, and obviously when I went to India, I was just like, oh, there's my people, you know, and I was kind of like, holy shit, I didn't know this existed in Mumbai or Delhi or like this, like younger generation of kids that are mirror exactly how we think and act here, like exactly. However, because they're surrounded by Indian culture all the time, I think I felt like they were kind of luckier because they were always surrounded and reminded about how beautiful and even if there's parts of our our society that's pretty fucked up, like that's society, not like, you know, just general principle and learning from the religions in India, learning from the way we respect elders, learning from these like little societal traits and, and they still instill them in us. And I think Indian kids growing up in America, we're not surrounded by that. We're surrounded by a totally different culture. 
So when we come home to our Indian parents, we're like, you're so different than us. We kind of become angry at our parents for not understanding us when all they're trying to do is get us to understand them. You know, I think there's just this whole narrative where any family from other cultures that come to America, they're trying to preserve their culture as much as possible. And to do that, they have to instill that in us. And it's not something that we're going to naturally get just by existing in America. But definitely my friends in India who, you know, have been on the cover of Vogue and that they're all like, you know, models or actresses or, you know, pursuing a totally different path in India, they still just have a part of them that's at their core understands their roots and like where they came from. And that's because they're living in it. But it did surprise me, like friends of mine, like when I was like 22 at a bar in Mumbai and we're all like getting drunk. And a girlfriend of mine is like, oh, my mom wants to meet me to meet another guy to like arrange my marriage. And I'm just like, what? I thought this was like, and it's like they're kind of coexisting in both worlds. And that's so recent. That's like, you know, now. So it's just kind of, it's crazy. What is your advice for anyone who has unsupportive parents or family or like they want to pursue something that's outside of the norm and outside of what is expected of them. And I know you got really lucky with your situation. Your family is really supportive. But what is like a piece of advice you would give to someone who's really struggling with that? My friend Alok Menon, she is this incredible uh, spoken word activist, poet, um, and was just on Late Night with Lily Singh. And they ju- she just asked that question. And I think it's trying to, first of all, understand where they're coming from instead of trying to fight them. I think that, to me, no matter what, your parents are always going to think that they know better than you because they probably do, you know? But because you're existing, again, in a a totally different environment and world, I think it's important to try to explain to them what you're going through, but also try to understand why they're coming at you with what they're coming at you with. And I think even with my parents, even though they were really supportive and stuff, I always felt misunderstood. I always was like, you don't get it. Like, you don't know what I'm competing with in high school in Orange County with all these beautiful white girls. And I'm just like this weird oddball out. Like, you don't understand. You don't understand what that's doing to my psyche. And like, because of that, I... I rebelled against them a lot, even though they were the dopest parents ever. And I, I've like I've come to terms with that now because I'm older, but it's just trying to like sit down and understand where each other's coming from. But the, at a lot of times too, your parents are wrong and you should do whatever you want to do. You know, yeah. I think even with me, like my parents were super supportive of me being creative up until the point I was graduating college. And my mom was like, so are you going to get a job? Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> And I was like, no, I'm going to tour. I'm going to take a year off. I don't know. And she was like, so I just spent 60 grand a year for you to go to the best music school in the world and and you're going to just do nothing. And I was like, probably, yep. (laughs) I think think when – I think for me, a lot of my India career was proving it to my mom. Like my whole India career was like, I I know my mom says she supports me, but I know deep down there's this like little Indian woman in her that's like my child, you know, with pink hair (laughs) and like, what is she doing? So like, yeah, but I think when she saw me like in, you know, the biggest magazines and like having full pages in India today and like, you know, hanging out with the biggest 
actresses and musicians and stuff in India who are now my like dear friends. I think she got her clout points with that, that she can talk to all her friends about. So now she's all, <laughs> so now she's good. I'm like, okay, yeah. mom. Okay, now I can move on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really curious to hear about your experience at Berkeley and like how that was going from like you went from like Orange County being surrounded by all these like white people and then you went to Berkeley, which is obviously like I'm sure it was like more diverse than where you came from in Orange County. I actually went to like I went to a lot of boarding schools growing oh, up. Oh, interesting. So I it was interesting because when I was like eleven, I hated Orange County. Hate it. Like my best friend is like the most beautiful white girl ever and it just I hated it. Like being next to her and like and we're still best friends to this day and she knows like she knows knows but it just wasn't I knew at such a young age that that wasn't like serving me in any way like it was if anything like really fucking me up mentally for my future like I knew that. But I was rebelling because of that. And because of that, my mom was like, you're really young and you're like smoking weed and drinking. Like, what are we doing here? And and that's kind of how my parents and I had worked stuff out. Like, it was never like, you're going to boarding school. Like, we're grounding you. I, if that decision for me to go to my first boarding school was like a mutual decision. Like, I was like, I want to go to the East Coast. I don't want to grow up here. And they let me. But then after that, <laughs> then I like kind of got kicked out of two boarding schools and then I went to then I got into the art high school but it was interesting because all these mistakes I was making like through my rebel phase kept getting me into like better art schools so it was super weird so it was like every year I was changing schools but at that was trippy though like at like 11 years old in eighth grade going from Orange County all white people to like a school in Virginia where it was mostly African-American that was trippy and I, I was so young at the time and I felt more because Newport in Orange County is very white, you know, like that's the type of place where you like never see any colored people at all. And you're just like, oh, my God, you know, like that's how you feel in Orange County. When I was in Virginia, that was really trippy. But at the same time, I was like, oh, my God, thank God I'm not a white girl. <laughs> like I was like, cause, cause they didn't like, they didn't hate me from the get. Like, also, my dad owned one of the biggest travel agencies that brought the most business to India from North and South America. So I spent my life traveling. Like, even if I was going to boarding schools and stuff, I would get kicked out and then have like three months off, and I would I would go to South America or China or Egypt or wherever. Okay, so Berkeley wasn't like that much of a shock. No, I, honestly, Berkeley was like college 3.0 because I had already been like living on my own and thing. I think the thing at Berkeley was you were surrounded by musicians and that was hard because, you know, you grow up in a way in which everyone thinks you're super special because you're so talented. And then to be surrounded by literally the best talent in the world was was hard. When did you like find your sound? When did you know that pop music was like that? That's going to be my sound, I guess, my genre. Well, that's the thing. It's like at Berkeley, I was still doing the like kind of folk weird singer songwriter thing. You were I was learning about so many like world musicians and like people you won't even know who they are if I name them. But like I was obsessed with like French singer songwriters and like like songwriters. I didn't even know what they were saying. I just loved how it sounded. And I think Berkeley was a perfect place for me to explore that side of me. But then when I, it was when I was in India. And I think the bigger the stages got in India, the more I wanted my sound to be bigger. And I wanted to like have a show. I didn't want to just be like with my guitar and my band. And I wanted to like, you know, have lighting and like have visuals. And I wanted to do all this other stuff. So yeah, I think India was when that transition fully happened. 
I just like I'm so interested with the whole process of coming up with a song and like producing and how that works. What is the process of coming up with a song, whether that be the lyrics and then finding the sound for that song? I think, well, I on my phone, like where I'm like recording you guys right now, like that's like all my notes and stuff and like my voice memos and shit. So it's just like constant stream of consciousness throughout the day of like me writing in my notes, little ideas and tiny little seeds throughout the day. And then um, I think back in the day, like you know, I play guitar. So in, in India and in college, I was mostly writing on guitar. So I would like come up with the whole song and then show my band and then kind of get all the pieces together. Now with pop music and being in the LA space of like, you know, writing for other artists and even writing for myself, there's a lot of like producer culture going on now where, um, you know, you get to the studio or you're with a producer and, and maybe another writer or two and you just like all write a song together just kind of based off of you catch a vibe on like a, like a sound Music itself has shifted. The creation of music has shifted so much in the last like seven years just because of like our laptops and the ability to do it from anywhere. I think now it's it's sometimes, yeah, it's kind of a combination of everything. I could come to the studio with like a little idea on like a, of a verse on guitar and then a producer will like help me flesh out the whole idea and I'll like then write the whole song on the spot. Or sometimes producers send me tracks and then I top line on them, like right on top of them. The best ones though, like the songs that I love the most, like recent ones that I've released are like here. This is my song here and my song worth it because I wrote those two on guitar first. So still I kind of love, I love the ones that just kind of come out of me naturally. Yeah, I wanted to ask about your style, like clothing, like aesthetic vibes that you have going on because I noticed like on your Instagram, a lot of your stuff is very bright colors and like almost almost like futuristic geometric kind of just very like bold looks so how do you how would you describe your personal style I wear I'm kind of like this like weird cross between boho yet H&M Zara type vibe however when it comes to music I think that was always cool about the shift as a singer songwriter like you're like you on stage but when I started making pop music, I could be whatever I wanted. And I could flip, like I could dye my hair blue, I could dye my hair red, I could wear a wig, I could have braids one day, I could kind of be more street one look, and I could kind of be more like girly and fantasy and, you know, dream girl look, and I can kind of ch- mess around with that. And that's kind of what excited me about pop music in, in a big way, because that's so much a part of it, fashion, and I love fashion, and um, so now I think what's interesting is now what, di- what directs the, the look of like the artwork or the shoots we're doing and stuff is the sound of the song I made. It's not necessarily like, oh, like what, and, and then I go in and choose and I'm like, my eye kind of moves around to things. But my stylist, um, my stylist, her name is Ambika Sanjana. She is one of the only and biggest Indian girl stylists, like in the U.S. Um, and she's amazing and me and her try to really break boundaries with what we're doing like I remember my first shoot here in in the in LA you know it was like so like penthouse like downtown LA like studio and and it was all like super intense we had like five looks for like three songs and and that was the day I don't know if you look back in my history but 
there's like these shoots where I had like all these wigs on and like we were kind of doing this like sleeping beauty, bad girls dream themed thing. And at that shoot, Umbika was like, girl, like no Indian girl has done this. Like, do you realize like what we're doing? Like, this is like, I have never been able to style an Indian girl like this because they, like, they just don't do that. Honestly, me trying to like to mess around and experiment with what I'm wearing, it's also jarring for me. It's also shocking for me because I've never seen an Indian girl dressed like that. And then I get the and then I get the opinions of like, well, you don't even look like an Indian girl anymore. And I'm like, what the hell? Okay, so it's just I don't know. I kind of just do I wear and do whatever I feel like. But I do like like big, bold statement pieces. I'm really minimal about my jewelry. I on a daily basis, I don't wear makeup. I don't care. But when I, I love when I'm at shoots and I, I get to like mess around and explore. Another question. Who has been your favorite person to headline for? To open for? I Honestly, the Anderson Pock tour was, was crazy because they were just so sweet. Like we did, me and my friend Kavya, we were doing all the like opening shows for them in like the two cities that they were playing in India and just getting to like hang out with them and tour. And I think that tour happened to me at a really pivotal moment when I was that was literally the last shows I did in India so for me that was like just getting to sit down and talk to Andy and like the free nationals and you know when when all these people would come to tour in India like they would hear me talk and they'd be like wait and I'm like yeah dude I'm from LA and like it just like immediately there's a connection there um and then being like can you explain to me this wild world I'm in like what is going on here and I'm like well this is India it's crazy and you know, I think um, welcome <laughs> welcome um and but I think just hearing like someone familiar from like where they're from helped and yeah I think that towards just my conversations with Anson like he was the one who kind of was like look if you don't leave right now you're not gonna leave and that was like oh shit and I literally left like three months later I was already thinking about it for a very long time but then it just that kind of solidified it because he was like I see what you're doing here girl like I see like but if you don't leave you're never gonna know yeah honestly if I didn't leave I would be there right now there was another artist um, who I love. Her name's Monica Dogra. Me and her are, are close friends now. But when I went to India, she was the only other Indian girl in India that was from the States. Um, so me and her got compared to each other a lot. But she was kind of came before me and she really paved the path for like everything I was able to do in India. And um, she even when I was about to leave was like, leave, like go. She was like, because if you don't, you're going to be me in 10 years. You're not going to be able to leave. And... I think, I don't know, things happen for a reason. I'm still trying to figure out where the story ends, but yeah. So over your time in India, did you find any cool brands or artists that you would want to share with us? Some cool brands you guys should definitely check out is Nor Nor Black, Nor White, but also Letha Sita. And these are two brands that are in India run by super dope females. Um, but actually Letha Sita and I, she used to dress me a lot in, in, in India. So she takes a lot of traditional fabrics like saris and stuff and makes them into like crop tops and little short shorts and skirts and like literally taking the most traditional piece of fabric and making them into like modern wear for young girls like me. So me and her are actually doing a collab line that was supposed to launch in April last year, but because of COVID, we pushed everything. So we, I started my own company called This Is Life. Me and her are designing an entire line together, which is kind of like completely upcycling the narrative of what it is to be an Indian girl. 
you know, saris are the most old traditional fabric in India. So she sources them. They're all vintage. They're all one of a kind. And then she, all of her pieces are one of a kind. So I'm like sending her like Doja Cat outfits and being like, how can we make this out of a sari? <laughs> you know, mesh bodysuits with like sari material covering your boobs and like just wild shit that would really piss Indian aunties off. So like look out for that when that happens, but definitely check them out. And yeah. Okay. One final question. If you could collaborate with one artist, who would it be? Khalid at the moment, or I've always been like a girl who's like obsessed with Russ. Like I love Russ. I love his whole career. I think he's mad inspirational. And um, yeah, those are the two. And like music today, like, you know, artists of today. Well, thank you so much. That was so interesting. Yeah. Thank you. This was a good way to wake up. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are super cute. And I hope it becomes the best podcast in the world. Oh, thank you. (laughs) you. And I hope you get to collab with Khalid one day. That concludes our first episode of the second season of My Brother's Friend. And thank you so much to Zoya for being on the podcast and for being so open and honest about all of your experiences. This season, we are excited to announce that we launched our website, mybrothersfriend.com. We featured all of our podcast episodes. We have uh, we have a brand database featuring some of our favorite brands, and we've even started writing blog posts here and there, which we'll be publishing weekly. So keep your eye out. We'll be releasing new episodes every two weeks, so stay tuned for that. And thanks for being part of the journey. See you in the next episode. Bye.